In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Tom Brickman, also known as the Frugal Gay, is our guest on Money Tales this week. Tom's 40 and he hit fire within the past year, meaning he's achieved financial independence and is able to retire early. This was not by accident. Tom was a hustler from the very beginning, helping neighbors with garage sales, taking out trash, mowing lawns, doing whatever he could to earn a buck. He ultimately put his attention towards real estate, scooping up homes that no one else wanted and turning them into desirable rental properties. Tom shares that he needed to be creative along the way to support the cash needs, so his hustling experience came in handy. At one point, Tom supplemented his income by buying bras and purses on the cheap and reselling them over eBay. Today, Tom is a married dog dad living in Dallas, Texas. He owns 22 rental properties, runs a resale business, and Tom provides real estate investing insights and coaching through thefrugalgay.com. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics Tom hits on in this conversation. First, how becoming a residential real estate investor isn't as easy as it may seem. It's important to budget dollars and time for unexpected repairs and needy tenants. And you have to know how to properly evaluate property so you don't end up purchasing a money pit. Second, like other financial areas, it can be helpful to rely on a team of professionals when buying and selling real estate. And third, how there are many non-traditional ways to build wealth. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now on to our conversation with Tom Brickman. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I'm Sandy Breaker. Sandy, we just played our first family game of Monopoly. And what a fun game when you think of money conversations. And for me, emotional money moments when I was a kid, when you were so frustrated because you kept landing on your brother's hotels and having to pay all this money. <laughs> so it brought back a lot of memories. I mean, that sounds like fun. Were you guys playing the classic Monopoly? It was the classic version. And what I was reminded of are all the different versions because my husband and his brother said, oh, is it the English version? <laughs> so we were comparing what, what you landed on. But what was fun for me to watch the kids with their money and how they handled money. And my oldest immediately declared she's the banker, which I bet my oldest brother did. I think that older child has that inclination. Yep. Makes the call. And then my youngest reminded me of myself as a kid where she didn't want to spend any money 
And I kept saying, well, yeah, yeah, you know, you've got to do this because you want to own the properties and then you can charge fees. But it was the idea that she gave up any of it. She wanted each number, you know, a dollar, a five, a 10, a 20. She wanted to make sure she had all those and spending anything killed her. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny, Cammy. And what a great opportunity. What I was really appreciating this game to talk about concepts that can feel advanced, paying your utilities, being taxed for something. When you pull up the chance card, some are good, some are bad. It's life, right? I was really appreciative of this game and what it did for our conversation around this. And then I will share, they actually had played with our neighbors. And the neighbors said, oh, when you land on the utilities, you don't pay any money. (laughs) You just ignore it. Oh, And I said, well, whoa, 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 no. How do you get your electricity? How do you get your water? So anyway, just such a fun way of having money conversations with my six and eight-year-old children. That is great. Thank you for sharing. I have to laugh a little because at my house, we just started playing poker as a family, which (laughs) doesn't have quite the same (laughs) money lessons. Important lessons. But yeah, lots of money decisions going on in, in that game too. Excellent. We'll find out from our guest today if he, what games he played as a kid to learn about money. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast, Tom Brickman, also known as the Frugal Gay. Thank you for having me. I got goosebumps while you were sharing your story about Monopoly because I just visited with family. I have a short-term rental in Toledo, Ohio. So we have Toledoopoly, which is just the Toledo version of Monopoly. And as I was sitting there with my family recently, they were reminiscing of all of our Monopoly games as children and how it always ended in tears. And I was always <laughs> the banker. And uh-huh. Were you the oldest child, Tom? I am the oldest, yes. <laughs> so that was awesome that you shared that because I just went through it about two weeks ago with, with my family when they were visiting out there. And it was a walk down memory lane. Tom, would you introduce yourself and provide a couple pivotal moments that happened in your life that really impacted who you are today. My name is Tom Brickman. I am 40 years old. I am from Dallas, Texas. I newly hit fire within the past year. I am a real estate investor. I have 22 doors in Dallas, Texas and Toledo, Ohio. And I am a eBay reseller as a side hustle. And that's what helped me accelerate my real estate growth. I bought my first property at 21, and now at 40, I bought five last year, and I'm under contract for my third one this year. Wow, you do not go slowly. I'm not certain I want to play Monopoly against you. <laughs> my youngest brother, too. He's like the competitive one. So he, when Toledoopoly came out, he's like, it's on. And he's the same way. We have that same mentality. Where, And then I do have a sister that's in the middle and she's the frugal, frugal one. And she wants to save the money and and do this. And then I have my middle brother and he's kind of a mix of both of us where he'll buy some, he'll sell some. He won't collect rent if you're friends with him, you know, that type of landlord. It's a reminder that raised in the same family, we all have different money experiences. So speaking of our families, we love to go back in time and hear a little bit about as you were growing up, when did money start having meaning to you? I started realizing that we were tight on money in grade school. My father was a police officer. My mom was a stay at home with the three of us. My youngest was born when I was already going off into college. 
but mom stayed home with us and we were tight on a single income police officer's salary. And I remember, I like to share this story because this is a moment that I remember and I know it's crazy, but we all got new mattresses and we were really excited, but it cost $75 to get these mattresses delivered. So we went with my dad's boat and picked up these mattresses in the boat because that was the only way. The mattresses weren't rolled up back then where you could fit them like in a box in the back of the car. And one of the mattresses blew out of the boat while we were driving home. And I remember my mom and dad, it didn't hit anyone. So that was a good thing. But I remember mom and dad, it was actually a box spring that flew out. And I remember my mom and dad running out and getting it and putting it back in the boat. And I remember my sister, the whole time she had that bed, she had a broken box spring because it flew out of a boat. But I remember that moment where I'm like, I don't ever want to have to pick up my mattresses in a boat, I would rather pay $75 and not sleep on a broken box spring. And I didn't even have to sleep on the broken box spring, but I was in the back of the car when the mattress blew out. So that was a moment that I'm like, I don't want to do this. And I do remember several times throughout my childhood where you'd go up with your parents to a store and you'd ask for something and they'd say, if you want it, you need to work for it. So I was a hustler from the very beginning, helping neighbors with garage sales, taking out trash, mowing lawns, whatever I could do. And I just was always in that, if I wanted, I need to work for it. And that was how I was kind of brought up. And you figured it out. You didn't wait for someone else to figure it out. But I hustled up until 14 or 15 when I got my first job. And that was just one of those that's how it was. And that's, I didn't have another option. And that was how we were raised. And I remember my parents talking like this week, we're on a budget and we have $80 for groceries. So that stuck with me. I don't write down everything, but I do have a budget that I try and stay within. And that carried me to end of my college years. And it's just traveled with me since. I've learned to make what I make work. And if I don't make enough to make it work, then I find another way to generate that income through eBay or through multiple different ways of generating income. So Tom, it sounds like you have goals and that you first hustled and worked. And now maybe there's a mix of hustle and work to bring in money to cover your spending goals. Are you looking ever to bring in more than what you need for a particular expense? Absolutely. I mean, I always said that I would stop with 10 rentals and I'm at 22 doors right now and 19 of them are generating income. So I am making more than I need with those, but I'm just reinvesting the money into additional. And when I got married a few years ago, this whole budget concept was foreign to my husband. So we started some of these doors are his that we're buying now because he loves to buy expensive shoes and not budget. And I'm like, nope, let's figure out a way to get in the middle, we can get one pair of nice shoes, and then we can get a house that's generating us some income. I've been married now just over five years. And that was a foreign concept to him when we did get married. I'm curious, when did your attention turn to real estate? It sounds like maybe when you're in your early 20s. It did. So I, it was out of stupidity. I was in college, I was paying $375 in rent. And I'm like, I got to figure out a way to get less rent. And what I did, I was broke. I was a broke college student. I was 20 years old. But when I started working at The Gap at 16, I wanted nice clothes, but I didn't want to pay the full price. So I got a job at The Gap and my dad filled out my paperwork. So he signed me up for this Gap stock purchase plan. And I was purchasing Gap stock 
out of every paycheck at a discounted rate as one of their programs. And I cashed it all in at 21, everything that I had bought over the prior five years. And I used that as my down payment for a duplex. And at that time, I was making like $8.50 an hour. And I was not qualified for a lot because I had basically no money. And they suggested, why don't you look at something that generates income like a multifamily? So I ended up with a $90,000 duplex, which was my door one and two. The downstairs tenant was inherited when I bought it, and she paid $600 a month. And my mortgage tax and insurance was $738. And I remember when I was signing that paperwork, I'm like, where can I live for $138? This is a home run. Not thinking of all the things that come with it, like broken furnaces and hot water heaters and all those things. But that was really how it started was then. And I remember my dad and my grandma coming out to look at these houses with me. And there was one that I was in love with. And the one that I ended up with was the one that my grandma said, you're going to take this one, even though it's ugly, you're going to take it. And this is why. But I'm glad that grandma came out that day and said, you're taking this one because this property, I own it almost 20 years later now. I was 21 when I bought it and I'm 40 now. And it's produced great income for me over the past 20 years. And I wouldn't be in this spot if I would have taken that first one because it was pretty, but it was not in a good location and it was just not set up properly to be a multifamily. So I'm glad that grandma talked some sense into me that day back in 2004. Tom, it sounds like there's been some ups and downs when you talk about furnace breaking. I'm certain there were times it was gut-wrenching. Will you share with us a story or two and then how you handled it from a financial standpoint? Yes. And it can be a broken furnace, a new roof can devastate you early on. And I learned that really quick. I bought a money pit when I was 23. I was cocky. I had no money down. And this is why there was a financial crisis in 2008. I bought this property I had no business buying. And I lost money on it every year I owned it. It was just I didn't have a team. I didn't have good tenants. I had evictions. I had everything you could think of, everything breaking. And if I didn't have that first one that grandma told me to buy, I would have probably lost some houses, but I kept making payments. I did fine. And that one I finally sold in 2015. It was on my birthday when the paperwork came through. And I was so excited. I lost $22,000. And when I wrote that check to the title company, I'm like, this is the best birthday gift I've ever gotten is getting rid of this money pit. So that is something that was, you know, people jump into this not understanding cost. And I certainly jumped into that not understanding what I was doing or the cost it would cost to fix things. And that was devastating. But I mean, I still were just working on taxes for last year. And there's some properties in my portfolio. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're negative $14,000 on this one this year because we did this furnace and we did this roof and we did this. So I really started making money at door number five. And that's when I'm like, okay, maybe I can actually make money from this. But it took me getting to door number five, which was like a hurdle in itself. Because when I went for door number four, which was my first one in Dallas. It was 2009. And the process was so wild. And they were like asking me why I was spending money at the 99 cent store. I'm like, what is this? I bought (laughs) two other properties before. They didn't ask a question before. (laughs) Right. And I'm buying like a $26,000 property and I'm getting grilled. And it was night and day. And I remember by the end of that process, I was just paying for everything in cash because I didn't want to answer any more questions. And I hated that bank by the end because I'm like, there's mean. I understand why there was a financial crisis and I understand why it went there, but it went from like the extreme opposite ends to get there. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll give you a house too. Are you sure you really <laughs> want this? You're going to have to work for it really hard. Tom, what did it feel like to learn those lessons, right? To have that money pit for so long? Gut-wrenching for sure, because you'd have great years with the first two. You've had, you'd have great years with the other ones, but then all of that would just be sucked up by the money pit that I had for my third door. And that's why, you know, when I tell people I was excited, I I lost $22,000. It was a great lesson. But getting that off my plate and learning that lesson and sharing, I feel like it was worth my $22,000 because I am so ridiculous when I look at these properties now because I learned from that one. I'm not going to make that same mistake. If I don't have a team or I don't know who can fix it, I don't want anything to do with it. That deal there that I lost that money made me learn this real quick so I wouldn't make a more expensive error along the way. And I wouldn't have gotten there without that on this journey. So Tim, feel great, but you learned along the way. I did. I learned a lot and I got creative because there were times early. I like to share this one. This was actually in college. still when I was in that first property and I didn't have money for that hot water heater and it was like $700 at the time installed. And I'm like, how am I going to figure this out? And I remember I went to a closeout store, kind of like a TJ Maxx or a Marshalls type store. And I bought all these purses for $1.50 and I was selling them on eBay so I could pay for my books and pay for this water heater. And that's what I did early on because I didn't know how else to make it work because you can only work so many hours in a week. And I was already working those hours and I was going to school and I had gas. And I remember going to Kroger and I'm like, I have $33 for the next two weeks for food. How can I make this work? And I would make it, you know, you just figured it out back then. So it just forced me to get more creative. And eBay at the time didn't even have buy it now. So I had to sell these purses two at a time because I had two colors and they would bid them up and I would ship them out every week. I'd go and ship out my two purses and it worked. I made it through that rough patch to get to where I can comfortably say I don't need to go back to a nine to five now. But it took me selling those purses and $33 weeks on groceries to get to that point. It's so creative. You use that word. It's really an important lesson for you. And I'm curious, you got to door number five. Sounds like there was a bit of a eureka moment. You're figuring out how to succeed. What would you say are the top three things you've learned to be successful in what you're doing? Definitely being able to have a conversation, especially now. One of my best deals came from a flea market and they were a vendor that we bought nail polish from and I gave him my card and then a few years later he's like my mother-in-law passed do you want this house I don't want it it's hoarded up to the ceiling I want nothing to do with it he's like this is what I want for it and he gave me the price and I looked it up and then I'm like no I don't really want this and then I took it so I'm like you know what I'm just going to do this and I got the dumpsters and I did it myself and I would have never made that deal if I didn't have the ability to have a conversation with the guy who was selling me nail polish to being able to understand how your money can make money and when I was in Dallas at that time I was buying really cheap properties cuz I had cash and I knew that that horrific experience that I had in 2009 I didn't want to go through another underwriter grilling me so I'm like all right I've got my and I would go buy the condos that the investors would ignore because they were at the time, this is bottom of the market. I bought a $9,000 condo. I bought a $14,000 condo. And what I've done with those is trade them up over time. So like even just in 2020, I bought one of my early condos I bought for 15,000. I sold it for a hundred thousand. And then 
when I sold it in 2020, I turned it into a multifamily property, the down payment on a multifamily property. So understanding how your money can make money. And that was always my goal is how can I make the little bit of money I have generate me income? Because I don't want a job hop. I don't want to stay at the movie theater where I worked for 15 years. I don't want to jump to another movie theater to make $5,000 more over here because I'm going to have the same issues. I want to take ownership of my time. So understanding how money worked was huge. And I could still be handing out popcorn if I didn't really understand that concept of how money works. And then the third takeaway is being able to turn trash into treasure, which I started (laughs) in grade school when I would do these garage sales. I would literally sell people's trash that they don't want and turn it into income. And I've done it with houses all along. I've bought the ugliest house on the street and I've turned it into a nice, safe property. I get a lot of landlord is scum messages from people in DMs, especially as my accounts grow. And I think what's really missed by a lot of them is I'm not bidding on those first-time homebuyer houses. I'm bidding on the ones that have been out of service for five years, the bank owned, the ones that are ugly and forgotten and nobody's lived in for many years. And I bring them back to life. I spend a lot of time, money, energy, and effort into this house. And like I just finished one and I I got goosebumps when I started to see the pictures the other day because it just turned out so good. And it was so ugly when I bought it last year that I'm excited to see what the reaction... Like, I've had people knocking on the doors as we're doing the work. They're like, is this up for rent? Is this available? So I can't wait. I'm putting up the listing tomorrow. And I can't wait to see what people are going to say when they go in because this thing was ugly and neglected for years. So I love that being able to see what it could be as opposed to what it is now. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that, especially when they're looking at it as an investment this is not a property you're going to live in forever. It can be a little bit ugly, but if it's got good bones and it's got nice windows and a roof and it's safe, then this is something that can work. I like that trash into treasure. Tom, on your a number two of your list, you say you really have to understand how money works. And based on all of these different real estate transactions you've been involved with, there's a lot of tax implications and different tax maneuvering. And I'm curious, how did you get up to speed on the tax implications of what you were doing in learning how to strategize around tax hurdles and tax benefits when it comes to rental real estate? I did it the wrong way first and it cost me lots of money. And then I learned the correct way real quick when I sold that first, because I was like, I want to do a like-kind exchange and I accepted the money. I didn't know that I had to use a third party. And then I went and I bought another property and then I went and did my taxes. They're like, oh no, you touched the money. You can't do a 1031 exchange on this. You have to pay tax on that. So I learned by trial and error. And then I midway through got a accountant who helped me understand what I can and can't do. And that was huge for me because I didn't understand it all. I was like, I want to make this nice. I can make this make money. But how do I sell this property for 15000 and buy a $100,000 house with it and so on and so forth. So I just paid the price when I made the mistakes and then I paid a professional thereafter so I wouldn't make those mistakes the second or the third time. And that really has been kind of my MO this whole journey is I don't want to buy another money pit. I don't want to pay the tax on a capital gain if I don't have to because I'm just going to invest it into another property. 
And last year when I did my taxes, I had a gigantic loss on one property. And he looks at me, he's like, you spent this $70,000 on this property. He's like, that's not a repair. We need to put it into the property's value. And I'm like, oh, he's like, so now you have this and you're going to owe X amount of money on this. And I'm like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. So every year it's like, I already know what's coming this year because I did it again with two properties last year and I'm more prepared going into it. But that's why I started The Frugal Gaze because I want to share my journey. You're an educator. Yes. Tom, speaking of that, you brought up The Frugal Gay. Tell us more about what you're doing there. So I started The Frugal Gay because I was going to be leaving the theater and I'm like, what am I going to do with my time? Like, I don't have enough going with eBay and, and 22 rentals. I started it as a way to connect with others in my community to see that you don't have to make six figures to retire early. You don't have to make these extraordinary numbers or these huge salaries or kill yourself for a job. There are ways to build wealth non-traditional ways. I know that no one would think, oh, I'm going to go buy all these clearance bras at Macy's and turn around and sell them and buy a condo with it. But it's something that I've done along the way. So I started that to share my journey and to share my before and afters and to share my progress. And one thing that really has helped my brand grow is I've shared my failures because you see so much on social media where they're like this and this and this, and I'm sitting on the beach And then there's me and I'm like, hey, I lost $22,000 over here and I did this and I made this mistake. And I think that people can connect with that. So I started this to share my journey and to hopefully help others prevent them from making the mistakes that I've made along the way. Tom, you brought up your husband earlier. Tell us more about how you guys have navigated the money field together, because it sounds like you've reached a really nice spot based on what you're sharing. But what was it like at the beginning? And when did you begin having money conversations with him? We started really early because he was in grad school at the time. And I even think it was probably the second time we were out to eat. We were talking about finances and credit cards and debts. And I was one of those always when I was dating that I had those money conversations or what are you doing to generate income or how do you do this and what happens if you can't work tomorrow? So I was that oddball out that was having those conversations on dates early on and he got it and he saw some of the things that he was doing and even just we've been having problems with his car so we sold it this week and it was a money pit car that he bought prior to us getting together but now that we're looking for this new car We're looking at it with a different set of eyes now, more so than what's sporty and fashionable and going to look good in our driveway and what's going to get us from point A to point B in a safe manner. A Toyota would have never been on his list of cars to look at six years ago before we met. And it's not about not enjoying great things. It's just about the Toyota and the BMW are going to get you the same exact spot in the same exact amount of time with a $20,000 difference. And we don't have to put premium gas in that Toyota. So that was just a, a recent conversation. And a lot of it he gets, he was just raised very differently in a different, you know, just like I was with the, the mattresses flying out of the boat. I think that would have never happened in his childhood. It would have been white glove delivery for them. But that was that money conversation in his house as he was growing up. So It's been a good blending because he does see he has one property that he owns. And when that tenant contacts him, he understands what I'm getting from 22 different people in one month. And it's eye-opening and it's great. And whenever he has an issue, the first person 
he comes to is like, how do I answer this? What should I say? Who do I call? And I think that that's good because it puts a different level of responsibility on him that he didn't have in the past. He didn't have someone asking him, how do I pay this? This is broke. We have an ant problem. Can you get an exterminator? And now he has that on his radar. So he tax plans differently. He sets money aside and he's like, okay, so I want to do this vacation. And if we do this upgrade at this property, we can do this. And I love that it's kind of a medium because we can still do the nice vacations and go to Hawaii and do this and that. And we can build wealth through real estate. Is this part of an ongoing dialogue? It's part of an ongoing dialogue. We never have sit downs. We do always communicate with like, he just had a bonus come in from work and what he wants to do with his bonus money and where he can get the most. His mom sent him money for Christmas and he's like, what do you want to do with it? And I'm like, I think we should do half for insulation for the house and the attic and half for fun. And that's a a regular. So we're always open about expenses. And there's times like I pay a big chunk of the bills and I'm like, well, you don't pay the electric and you leave the TV on constantly. So that's another one of those that we'll have. And I know that that TV is not pushing my electric bill up to $400. It's the air conditioning in Texas, <laughs> but it's just my way of just making him aware of cost. Tom, I appreciate that you are an expert in money conversations and someone who is open and eager to have money conversations with people. I'm curious, as you reflect back on your life thus far, what's been your most challenging money conversation? There were times early, especially in high school and especially in college, where I would have friends and go do these trips or go do this. And I was working jobs and I felt like I I had a very poor mix of money reality back then, meaning I was just so much in hustle mode that I missed out on some things. And I remember a friend who was up to their eyeballs and $20,000 in student loans, $20,000 in credit card debt. And I remember having this conversation where I'm just like, well, this is why I'm in hustle mode. And they came back and they're like, but you're not having any fun, which I agree with. I wasn't. I was in hustle, hustle, hustle. And that was a little dose of reality. That's where I think my husband and I complement each other, where he can plan that fun trip to Europe or wherever we're going to go on these one or two trips. And we have that time and we build that into our budget. I think that that's where I've done a better job, especially in the past couple of years. And if I would have never had that conversation back then, I hope that I still wouldn't be trying to hustle the way that I was. But I do have those moments where it's just hustle, hustle, hustle. You have to just stop and regroup and help yourself understand what your true priorities are so you don't get caught in the race of trying to bring in more money just to bring it in. Until I left my job, I never realized how great owning your time is. I've spent more time with my family in the past year than I had in the prior 20 years because I can go for the weekends. This ownership of time is huge and people don't understand. You can never get back that experience of bowling and going to the art museum and playing Toledoopoly if you miss it. And that was one of those things that I'm thankful that I got to where I am because I know it's priceless when you have ownership of your time and can spend time with family before they're not here with you anymore. Tom, what's your next money conversation going to be? And who's it going to be with? So I have pretty regular conversations with clients. And I have, I call them reality check-ins. And I have a talk coming up with a client where 
they have the desire to do it, but they're not taking the action to take the steps and they're not cutting back on this and they're not generating more income. So it's more of a money reality where I know that you want to do this, but these are the things that you need to do. And this is something that I work on with all my clients. So if they do get a money pit or they do have a non-paying tenant, they're prepared. These reality checks are important. And that's a conversation that I've got coming up. I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but I do want you to, to be ready when something breaks and be prepared. That's wonderful, Tom. Where may our listeners find you or reach you? So I am most active on Twitter and my Twitter name is at the frugal gay 11. And then I am the same name on Instagram and TikTok. And then on my website, thefrugalgay.com or frugalgay.com. And I have a work with me tab. I have a blog. I have guest posts. I have inquiries. If you just have a general question, Twitter or the website would be the two spots to connect. That's great. Tom, thank you so much for joining us on Money Tales, sharing your stories, your passion. It's was It wasn't on your top three, but I could feel it. And I also really appreciated that you share your failures and that's really important. So thanks for just sharing with us on Money Tales. Thank you for having me. This was exciting. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.